On this Mother's Day, I'd like to ask you ladies to consider what kind of woman do you want to be? We've been studying through the, pro- the Psalms in recent weeks, but this week we turn our attention to the Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature. <clears throat> it is intended to impart wisdom to the hearer. The original audience of the Proverbs would have been the son of a king. Solomon crafted much of the Proverbs in order to instruct his sons in the way of wisdom. Much of the time was spent encouraging his son to take heed to his instruction, not to forsake it, to realize that his instruction was intended to produce, produce wisdom, to lead his son to gain wisdom. Wisdom literature paints a picture of the ways way things typically go in life if you continue down the path of the youth most youth the simple-minded path as the proverbs would say the path of fools it will lead to ruin at best and death at worst if however you choose to embrace wisdom contrary to the nature of youthful ignorance then you'll gain something greater of greater wealth than the most precious stones Wisdom will lead you to the fear of the Lord, in which you will have long life and favor from the Lord and from men. Well, Solomon isn't the only writer of the Proverbs. Our section of study for this morning was written by Lemuel. Some have speculated that it could have been just a poetic name for Solomon. Nevertheless, the intended audience was the same. It was directed towards young men intended to impart wisdom to guide in the way of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. In the eyes of the Proverbs, one of the most significant decisions that a young man can make has to do with the kind of woman he pursues. Early on in the Proverbs, and at times throughout, Solomon spent a significant time discussing the danger of pursuing the adulterous woman, the foreign woman, the prostitute even, who gives her body to men for money. That kind of woman forsakes the goodness of her God and her God-given honor for the sake of monetary gain. Men and women throughout the history of humanity post-fall have easily been enticed by the promise of physical pleasure. In our day, it is a virtue to pursue physical pleasure and the autonomy of self-gratification. Do whatever feels right to you, the world says. The Proverbs paints a very different picture of wisdom. God's wisdom avoids wanton pleasure and paints the picture that wanton pleasure only leads to ruin. Wisdom seeks out fidelity. Wisdom seeks the gratification, the pleasure, the treasure, the enjoyment of living in the fear of the Lord, obeying his commandments. Because living in the fear of the Lord and obeying his commandments leads to blessing from him. And that's more significant. Here at the end of the Proverbs, young men are exhorted to seek and to find a woman who fears the Lord. Yes, this section starts off by calling her a virtuous wife or an excellent wife in some translations. But ultimately, the text refers to her as a woman who fears the Lord. And again, that's part of the point of Proverbs is to encourage wisdom, skill for living in a world in which the Lord is judge. He is king. He is sovereign over all. He has a law and it is good for us to obey that law because that leads to blessing those who are considered wise seek to do his will those who are considered fools reject his will 
That's why the Proverbs is largely known for the proverb that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If that is true, then young man, you don't want a woman who dishonors the Lord. You want a woman who fears the Lord. This is the kind of woman you ought to unite yourself with. She will lead to success in life and blessing from the Lord. Now, while the intended audience is indeed young men in Proverbs chapter 31, and thus young men benefit from hearing a message on this passage, it's also clearly valuable for women. And it's valuable for women precisely because it unveils the mind of God concerning his concept of a woman who fears the Lord. What does that kind of woman look like? What kind of benefit does she offer to her husband and to her family? If you are a woman who's married with a family, the truth of Proverbs 31 will give you a standard to strive for. If you are not yet married, but maybe in the future, the truth of Proverbs 31 will give you a standard to aspire to in preparation for that day. If you have been married for some time and your children are no longer in the home for one reason or another, they could simply be older and out of the house, or perhaps you are widowed, then this message will give you some reminders that you can pass on to the next generation. Again, that's the pattern in Scripture for godliness, the older teaching the younger. Paul reminds us of that in Titus chapter 2. Nevertheless, on Mother's Day 2023, here at the Catonsville Baptist Church, we will mind the depths of Proverbs chapter 31, and specifically to encourage our mothers and all ladies, no matter what stage of life you're in, to consider how the Lord expects a woman who fears the Lord to impact her family. To put it another way, if you are a woman who fears the Lord, this is the kind of woman you ought to be. I'll read Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through the end. And we'll pray and we'll look at it in detail. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does good to him and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ship's of the merchant she brings her food from afar she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard she dresses herself with strength and makes herself her arms strong she perceives that her merchandise is profitable her lamp does not go out at night She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen and sells garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 
Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Father, we thank you for this day and another opportunity we have to come before your word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, if you are a woman who fears the Lord, then you ought to be uh, an excellent woman, a woman of virtue, a woman of noble character. This text describes what that noble character looks like. In other words, this is a picture of ideal womanhood. There are three main points in this text. A woman who fears the Lord ought to first embrace her God-given role, chapter 31, verse 10. Second, she ought to excel in her God-given role. That's verses 11 through 29. And third, she ought to exist for her God-given role, verses 30 and 31. She ought to embrace her God-given role, excel in her God-given role, and exist for her God-given role. Let's look at the first point. A woman who fears the Lord ought to embrace her God-given role, chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. Well, what do I mean by she ought to embrace her God-given role? I mean that she is a woman and she embraces being a woman. She is proud to be a woman and she clearly exemplifies womanhood, God-honoring womanhood. The world has embraced the view of womanhood that is not God-honoring. They seek a womanhood that desires to be out from under the oppression of manhood. More than that, it is a womanhood that seeks to supplant manhood as the superior sex in their view. Women are viewed to be viewed as inherently better. And while the proverbial pendulum has wrongly geared towards emphasizing the value of men over women in many ways, in the world's view of womanhood today, women are simply the superior sex. I don't have time to get into the utter train wreck that is the LGBTQ agenda that completely obliterates manhood and womanhood to the degree that A potential Supreme Court nominee is asked, what is a woman? And she can't answer the question. And let's not even get started on what it has done to female sports. But concerning the issue of womanhood, if we can even speak of that nowadays, the prevailing view of womanhood is that they are simply better than men. That's the goal. That's the end goal of feminism today. It is commonplace for many to speak of women in terms of being better than men. It's more politically correct to do so. You frequently hear of husbands saying to their own detriment that their wives are their better half. That's a, that's a nice sentiment. It's not, it's not necessarily wrong, inherently sinful, but you don't often hear women saying that their husbands are their better half. Usually when you hear women in the world talking about their husbands, they emphasize equality. Oh, we do everything 50-50. Children tend to think of their mothers as the most influential of the two parents in their lives. At least that is what one author of a BBC article surmised when they did research. He says, quote, to some extent, right or wrong, mothers are often considered to be the biggest contributor to home life. People tend to understand the sacrifices they make, and that's what you see. And so frequently... I mean, well, I guess, you know, even when you think about something like Mother's Day, Mother's Day tends to far surpass Father's Day in terms of the amount of money that is spent to celebrate Mother's Day. 
Now, of course, it's all more complicated an issue than I'm making it, but for the sake of this message, my point is that the world's view today, and particularly pre-LGBTQ, um, in particular the confusion around the T in LGBTQ, prior to that discussion, womanhood was on the verge of being established as not on par with manhood, which was kind of the argument at first, but superior to it in the world's eyes. What seems strange to me is that the way feminists go about pursuing that status, that level of superiority, was by diminishing manhood and emphasizing things like toxic masculinity to the degree that men are even afraid to be manly today. In the same breath, feminism has tended to insist upon women being more manly. Everything you can do, I can do better. Feminism insisted upon women taking the place of men, doing all the things that men have generally done for ages now, and even trying to outdo men in those things. Even to the degree that women have fought, particularly in our nation, won and then lost on a national level, still battling on the state level, to even be as, quote, not pregnant as men. That was a part of the original argument of Roe v. Wade that women should be able to be as not pregnant as men. It's kind of a ridiculous thought. I mean, that was actually a part of the argument with Roe v. Wade. The reality is that being pregnant is the one thing that men can never do. Of all the things a woman would reject, that one thing is a part of the design of her body, not something that men are even physically capable of being able to do and And yet they reject that in order to be not as pregnant as men. Womanhood, according to the world, is to be equal with men or even to be better than men. To be able to do the same things with the same degree of precision and skill. Society should make it possible for them to have the same freedoms as men, including being free to be or not be, again, as pregnant as as a man is. Moreover, womanhood, according to the world, tends to emphasize physical beauty, ironically, while lamenting men's appreciation for physical beauty. (laughs) Actresses lament being taken advantage of for their beauty in their career, but then they take roles that emphasize their physical beauty, right? Where they become models, and you see them taking these pictures and modeling for these products that emphasize physical beauty. There's this whole period of time when women would call out body shamers and yet they would show more of their body to emphasize that you know you shouldn't be ashamed of your body the world's view of beauty with respect to women is fuzzy at best and ultimately inconsistent and confusing bottom line is that womanhood according to the world is largely a rejection of God's design for women a rejection of his design for their roles a rejection of his design for the role of men a rejection of the Lord's design for the female body and particularly his purposes for their body the book of Proverbs would see that ideology is utterly foolish the fathers of the Proverbs would collectively groan to see their sons embracing a woman who embraces that kind of ideology And Proverbs is largely written as an exhortation of young men to consider the kind of woman that he should pursue. And yes, parents, that is a conversation that you should have with your children. 
But in the context of Proverbs, in our passage, that's what Lemuel is doing for his son. He's saying, son, you ought to seek to find an excellent wife, a virtuous woman, a woman of noble character, it says in some translations. This is a woman who embraces God's design for her, God's plan for her. It's a woman who seeks to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord, walking in the fear of the Lord, not in the ideology of the world. Now, how do I get that from verse 10? Well, the translation, an excellent wife, a virtuous woman, or a woman of noble character, I like that one, is a translation of a word whose meaning is somewhat varied in, in the dictionary. It might mean something like strength or efficiency, meaning the effect of strength. It could also mean wealth or army, refer to the strength of an army. In some contexts, it's used to describe the effect of strength or the conviction of a soldier. It might be used to describe a soldier who fights valiantly. You might hear that kind of terminology. Thus, again, the translation of noble character. This kind of translation is clearly emphasized for us in the book of Ruth. We all know the story of Ruth, right? Naomi's husband brought her and her two sons to Moab to escape a famine in the land of Israel. Naomi's husband then died. She took two husbands for her two, or two daughters, <laughs> two wives for her two, her two sons, and they both eventually died. And the two daughters-in-law Uh, Naomi tried to send back to her family or perhaps to go find another husband because she wouldn't be able to provide for them or take care of them. One daughter went back to her family. The other daughter, Ruth, who's um, the, the book is named after, decided to stay with her. And Ruth proclaimed, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. She made a conscious decision to cling to her mother-in-law, the text says to support her and take care of her wherever she went, whatever she did. Fast forward to their return to Israel. Ruth happened to be gleaning, happened to be gleaning among the grain of a man by the name of Boaz. He was a potential kinsman redeemer for Naomi. The law of the kinsman redeemer involved the nearest kin or family member redeeming the family. So if it was a a, a husband who passed on um, and the wife was left remaining, the, the nearest kinsman would would marry that woman in order to keep the property, the family property and wealth in the family and raise up a child to inherit. So he would have been the nearest kinsman redeemer. I guess there was one other, but he decided not to take that role. When introduced in the story, Boaz was acknowledged as a worthy man, a man of great wealth, a man of standing, a noble man, a man of noble character. It's actually the same word in our text in Proverbs 31. Likewise, Boaz refers to Ruth as a woman of noble character in chapter 3, verse 11. And that particularly because of her decision to stay with Naomi when she didn't have to. But she chose to do that. And the Bible records her as being that kind of woman, a woman of noble character, virtuous character. In the case of Proverbs 31, her strength, the strength of this woman, her noble-mindedness is with regards to her role as a wife to her husband. She is virtuous. She is excellent. She is noble with respect to her role, the role that she has embraced. She fears the Lord and thus embraces and exemplifies, again, that noble, excellent, virtuous character. She's not like the women of the world who reject God's design for womanhood, God's prescribed role for women in marriage. As we'll see, she has, to the contrary, fully embraced her role, not as a wallflower, not as a doormat, not as an inferior person, 
but rather she's fully embraced womanhood as God designed it. And that to the degree that the text says her worth is far more precious than jewels. And we'll see why as we go through the remainder of the text. Or what does it mean that she fully embraces her God-given role? Again, what does that look like? That leads to her second point, that a woman who fears the Lord ought to excel in her God-given role. We know that she's embraced it because she excels, as in verses 11 through 29. She excels in her God-given role. The role that God has given her is not an afterthought in her mind. It's not a side thing that she does. It is primary. It's her driving motivation. She knows what God has called her to do in the context of her family. She seeks to do it with all of her heart and for the good of her family. And we see that description in the text and how she is active in, in seeking the good of her family, not passive. She seeks. We see these words used frequently through the text. She seeks. She does. She rises. She considers. She dresses. She perceives. She puts. She opens. She makes. She clothes. These are descriptions of her excellence, her virtue, her noble-minded character. Or what are some of the different things that she does? Look at verses 11 and 12. She seeks ways to inspire trust from her husband. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. Her husband trusts in her. He has no lack of gain. Her husband does not have to worry about the spending habits of his wife. He does not have to worry about her hobbies or extracurricular habits, how often she goes to get her hair done. Those things, he doesn't have to worry about whether those things are going to lead him to ruin. He has confidence that his home is under secure management. He doesn't worry about losses due to some foolish choices or frivolity. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. Again, he doesn't have to wonder if whether he gets home, what kind of wife he's going to be faced with. If she's going to be upset, frustrated, feeling vindictive about some past offense. He doesn't have to wonder if she's going to be cold towards him when he gets home. If she's going to speak hurtful, unencouraging words. He trusts in her. He knows that she desires and seeks after what is good, not just for herself, but for him. Again, the text says that she seeks after this all the days of his life. She is committed to that. She pursues that end. She actively seeks to do good for her husband, and he is confident in that, not just on the first day of his married life, but every day thereafter. He trusts in her in part because of her proven character. Look at verses 13 through 19. She seeks creative ways to support the financial needs of their home. Verses 13 through 19, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Again, this is not a wallflower. This is not a demure, quiet, inept, incompetent, incapable, valueless drone who sits at home and waits anxiously for her husband to return. This is the CEO of her home business. She is engaged in the process of providing for the financial needs of her family in what ways she can. She's not a sap on resources, but rather looks for ways to supplement those resources. She's not sitting back shopping all day. 
She's not complaining to her husband about what they don't have, insinuating that he must work harder or longer to earn more to meet their wants. She works hard to supplement income to help meet needs. Or what are some of the things that she does to help to meet the needs of her family? She's productive in her own right. Verse 13, again, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She uses her hands, her own skill to produce what is needed for the family. This doesn't mean that you have to work outside of the home. If you are a stay-at-home mom, that can certainly be difficult. The point is that as you have the opportunity and when you're able, you use whatever talents you have to be productive for the sake of the family. She's industrious, verse 14. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She shops for the best kinds of deals for the family. She doesn't settle for what's convenient. She goes where she needs in order to ensure that her family's needs are taken care of. I remember years ago when we first started out and when we um, started having kids and, um, you know, things started getting more expensive. I remember my wife having this uh, massive coupon book that she used to keep where she would hunt for coupons everywhere. And I could not figure out how in the world she did this or how she even had time to do it. But she, I mean, it was, I mean, the book had to be this big. It was a massive book. And she would just continually update those coupons in the books um, just to be able to save us money on the, the small budget that we had to work with. Verse 15, she is tenacious. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Again, her family has needs. She starts to work early to ensure that everyone in the household is taken care of. She uses her skills, whatever skills those are, to benefit the home. In this case, in this next verse, she's a savvy investor. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. This woman of excellent character herself considers a field. She knows the value of real estate. She has a budget of what they can afford. She considers it, and she makes the purchase. She does this knowing that her husband trusts in her. Now, I don't believe that every woman needs to have that level of skill in real estate, nor does she have to carry the burden of such a major purchase on her own. However, if she has the skills, she should use it. Husbands and wives should talk about what skills a wife has, a woman has, And she should be allowed to use those skills to benefit the family. Verse 17, she takes care of her body. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She is selfless, but she does take care of herself. And this is not in the vein of self-care that is typically talked about, which tends towards self-worship nowadays. This is a desire to take care of herself for a purpose. Our bodies are subject to atrophy, and as a result, they fail. They are going down, but we don't have to let them go down easily. As we get older, the tendency is to stop doing as much, stop walking, stop moving, stop engaging our minds and bodies. Obviously, there are exceptional circumstances, right? When we have those aches and pains that are natural with age, we have sickness, we have some disease. But all things being equal, we should be intentional about caring for our bodies, I've said before, in the world's eyes, they're intentional for the sake of vanity, to look physically good, to look physically beautiful. The virtuous, excellent, or noble-minded wife is intentional about caring for a body, building strength in the context so that she can continue to care well for her home. I mentioned this as we studied Ephesians chapter 5 with respect to husbands and wives' relationships. She doesn't work out to be ogled by the world of men around her. She works out to look good for her husband and to be able to go to do good for her husband in the long run. 
There's nothing wrong with physical beauty, obviously. Biblically, there's nothing wrong with being physically beautiful or appreciating beautiful people or beautiful things. But there is something better. This is related to our scripture reading, 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter issues, uh, addresses the issue of physical beauty. The point that he makes there is not that it's wrong to be beautiful, to notice beauty. Not that it's wrong to have nice things, clothing or jewelry, but his point is to emphasize that outer beauty is not the most important thing, but rather what ought to be emphasized is inner beauty, the inner person of the heart. That is what you ought to adorn, ladies, more than anything else. That's precisely the point of Proverbs 31. The picture of a Proverbs 31 woman is a picture of one who ought to be desirable, even beautiful in the eyes of godly men, not because she's physically beautiful, even though there's nothing wrong with that again, but because she has beautiful character. She is full of virtue, excellence. Moving on. Again, the woman of noble character uses her skill to help provide for her home. In this case, she clearly has some sort of skill or craft which she's able to profit. Verses 18 and 19, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She uses that skill to diligently create for the purpose of selling materials in order to make a profit for their home. Again, the world says that women ought to be like men in every way, hold the jobs that men hold, do them in exactly the same way, do them better. The world is telling women that they can only find fulfillment in life by pursuing a career outside of the home as if labor in the home is not worthy of their time. The reality is that in the context of the home, women can and should still use the skills that they have, not as a man, not to be like men, but in fulfillment of their role as women. Not for their personal fulfillment alone, but ultimately for the benefit of the home. Again, ladies, consider what skills do you possess? You don't have to wait to use them till you're both old and retired and you've grown bitter because you've waited so long and you've sat around and you've done this for your family and worked hard for everyone else and then you can have your me time. No, use the skills and talents and abilities that you have today. Find some way to use them to be a blessing for your family. Again, all of these are ways that a virtuous woman seeks to creatively provide financial for the financial needs of her family. But not only is she interested in creatively providing for the financial needs of her family, she also looks for ways to provide for others. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is giving. She seeks to meet the needs of others. She is hospitable. Sometimes meeting the needs of others involves inviting them into your home to feed them, to give them shelter, to love on them. If there is a way to see that others are taken care of, even those outside of the home, she pursues it. You know, a woman who fears the Lord excels in her God-given role. She seeks ways to inspire trust from her husband. She seeks creative ways to help meet the financial needs of the family. She looks for ways to provide for others. Verses 21 and 22, we also see that she considers the future needs of the family. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The family is going to have needs throughout every season. She doesn't sit back and fret about those needs, but looks for ways to help meet those needs. If there is snow coming, she looks to make sure the family is covered when they go out. For example, she may look through the closets with the kids at to look at the next season's clothing to determine what the family will need so she can find deals on the off-season that are cheaper. 
I know that in my home, in between those warm and cold seasons, clothing that is packed away will be taken out, spread all over the basement or the living room, so that there's a careful catalog of what is needed for the upcoming season. That happens regularly in our home. The point is that this kind of woman takes care of her family. She, she looks ahead to make sure that her family is taken care of in the future. The text says she also takes care of herself, seeing that she is also dressed appropriately. But the former comes first. Take care of your others and then yourself. The world says, no, you got to take care of yourself first and make sure that you got everything you need and then you can worry about taking care of others. But that's not what the virtuous woman does. Again, all of these things ultimately support one central truth, and that's how the text is, is structured. The central truth is that she sees her husband as her primary ministry. Verse 23 shows the result of that. Through her fear of the Lord and her diligent care for her family, she amplifies her husband's success in society. The verse says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's not a comment on her husband. That's a comment on her diligent work. The gate is the central hub of the city. It's kind of like the town square, the seat of political and social power in the city. For her husband to sit at the gate to be known by the elders in the land is for him to have a place of prominence among the people. Whether we live in that kind of city or not, we understand the concept of a wayward family member, a wayward wife, one who brings shame or disrepute to her husband and her home, a wayward child who brings shame and disrepute to their husband and home, a wayward husband who brings disrepute to the family. Likewise, to the contrary, when you have a woman who has a kind of impact already described in this passage, it's likely to be noticed by everyone around, everyone in the city. And her husband will be respected for having a wife who provides such a benefit to her family. And to the point of the entire section, this is the kind of wife that a young man ought to seek, one who will do him good, be a blessing to the family and not a hindrance. One, will, and who, one will, who, who will enable him to have greater honor in the society at large, for the family to have greater honor in the society at large. Well, verses 24 through 27 largely serve as a repeat of a number of the themes already mentioned. Some of them elaborate a little bit further, but that's kind of how the text is structured in the original she is seeking to help the meet, meet the financial needs of her family. Again, verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. She takes care of her body, but is also concerned with her character. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Meaning, again, she looks forward for the needs of her family. But she's also concerned with caring for the needs of others. Verse 26, not only their physical needs, but also their emotional and spiritual needs. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I think we could probably spend more time on this, but we'll summarize by stating that her words are known as words of wisdom. She's not known for being witty or sassy. She's not a gossip. She's not one of those people who, again, speaks their mind all the time. She doesn't have to be an expert in every area. And I think one of the implications is that she doesn't even always have to say something. She doesn't have to be the center of attention. But when she does speak, she speaks with wisdom and for the purpose of kindness. Proverbs repeatedly affirms that she's already involved in the teaching and instruction of her children. We see a similar sort of thing as chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. That assumes that mothers are actually teaching. 
But more than that, she opens her mouth to pour out wisdom for the sake of kindness to all. It doesn't turn off when the kids are out of earshot, right? Like she becomes a different person when the kids can't hear. She continues to open her mouth to pour out, again, not gossip and not foolishness, but wisdom and kindness for all. (coughs) Moving on, verse 27, she's diligent in all of what she does. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not idle. She doesn't waste time. She's an active participant, a hard worker, not a busybody. For all these reasons, her family acknowledges and praises her. Verses 28 and 29, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done excellently, excellently, but but you surpass them all. This is not we have to say good things to mommy because it's Mother's Day. This is genuine heartfelt praise. Now, again, this proverb is not intended to serve as a motivation for women to work hard for their families. You shouldn't work hard just for praise. But the reality is that as you work hard, as you seek to excel in your God-given role as a godly woman, as a godly wife, you will receive praise. It'll only be natural. They'll do it because you truly exhibit excellence, virtue, noble character in all of what you do. That's something you ought to strive for, ladies. Strive to exhibit that excellent, virtuous, noble character. Embrace the role that God has given you in your life. This is not perfection, mind you, but this is simply the progress of a life that seeks to walk in fear of the Lord. That leads us to our final point. Again, a woman who fears the Lord embraces her God-given role. She excels in her God-given role. Finally, a woman who fears the Lord exists for her God-given role. That's the last two verses there. That's her attitude. She says, this is the reason why I'm here, not to be made much of myself, to be thought of highly simply because I am a woman or to be praised on a particular day of the year just because I have the title of mom. But the goal, ladies, is to pursue the end for which God created you, to live in such a way that shows your desire to walk in the fear of the Lord. And to live for his glory. The Proverbs 31 woman lives for that reason. And it is apparent to everyone. <clears throat> Again, verses 30 and 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Again, what do you exist for, ladies? What kind of woman do you want to be? Do you want to be charming? Just to be the kind of person that other people want to be around? The word of God is clear. Charm is deceitful, meaning that charming people appear to have desirable character, but they really don't have anything desirable to offer. Do you want to be beautiful? Again, the world endeavors for that and much more, to be alluring, to be sexually appealing. That is what the world desires. The world assumes that if others don't desire you for your physical appearance, you're worthless. But again, the word of God is clear. Beauty is empty. It is vain. Why is it empty and vain? Because it's going to pass away. doesn't matter how beautiful you are today. We're all going to get older. We're all going to have wrinkles. We're all going to have gray hair. It's going to happen. As old folks used to say, beauty is uh, skin deep, but what? Rottenness is to the bones. Or ugliness is to the bones. <clears throat> but again, what do you exist for? What are you living for? 
a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. A woman who fears the Lord is the kind of woman who was just described in the preceding verses. She has excellent, virtuous, noble character. She has embraced her God-given role. She is the kind of person who excels in her God-given role, and she does so because she fears the Lord. She desires to walk in a manner worthy of her calling by the Lord. This is the kind of woman who shall be praised. She will be praised not merely by the words of her family or by the words of others, but by her works. Again, look at the text. It says, give her the fruit of her hands. And what is the fruit of her hands? Look at the second half of the verse. Let her works praise her in the gates. The fruit of her hands is people talking about her work in the gates. Again, the gate is the political and social seat of the city. People will be talking about how much of a blessing she is to her family in all of the different ways that she's been a blessing to her family. This goes beyond the random one day of year celebration. This is a consistent acknowledgement of the blessing that she is to her family. She has embraced her God-given role. She excels in it. That's what she lives for, to walk in the fear of the Lord, to embrace him, to delight in him, to seek to live for his good pleasure, his glory, to seek to walk in his ways. If you are a woman who fears the Lord, that ought to describe your heartbeat, ladies. Now, again, the text said at the beginning, an excellent wife, a virtuous woman of, no, a woman of noble character, who can find her worth is far more precious than jewels. You may ask, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, who is adequate for these things? Who's capable of filling such shoes? The answer is no one on their own strength. Ultimately, the only way that you can come close to such a standard is with the strength that God supplies. You won't reach that standard just because you are a woman and a mother. It's not automatic. Women and mothers, just like everyone else, need Jesus. God makes us all sufficient as his servant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Jesus died for this very reason. Those who put their faith in him are given of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit enables us to live for his glory. To have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are qualities that we all need, ladies. Certainly these are qualities that you need to walk in the fear of the Lord, to be a woman of virtue, a woman of noble character. If you don't know him, I would exhort you to seek him today. Perhaps you've struggled in your parenting and your mothering. It's not too late to seek the face of Jesus. Ask him for wisdom and strength to pursue this. Same for those of you who do know him. Again, the goal is not perfection, it's progression. Ladies, mothers, no matter how well you've done, no matter how much you've struggled, the Lord is with you and promises to strengthen you to be this kind of noble woman. I ask again this morning, ladies, does this describe you? Does this text describe you? Mothers, does this text describe you? Are you that excellent, virtuous, noble woman that the word of God speaks of? Are you being praised today simply because it is a holiday? Are you being praised today because your works, your labor, wrought by noble character goes before you, is available for all to see, and that godly character motivates those closest to you to praise you for it. Are you a costly treasure in your home? In the eyes of God, that's what it means to be a woman, a wife, a mother. That is the standard to which you ought to strive, ladies. And I'd be remiss not to remind those of you who have mothers or wives who are mothers, who have displayed that excellent, virtuous, noble character, not perfectly, 
but they've been seeking to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Remember to encourage them, not just today, but every day. Encourage them, you serve them well, love on them, pray for them. If you are a young woman coming after them, follow them as they follow Christ. And even if they haven't been all that noble, excellent, or virtuous, encourage them all the more. Pray for them all the more. Love on them all the more. Again, not just one day, but every opportunity you have. Being a woman is a high calling. Being a mother is a high calling. Being a wife is a high calling and a difficult one. Well, again, ladies, what kind of woman do you want to be? The word of God exhorts you to be a woman of virtue, an excellent woman, a woman of noble character. Walk in the fear of the Lord, honor him above all, live in accord with his will for your life as a woman made in his image and for his glory. Seek to develop that godly character, that excellent character, that noble character, because you know that will glorify God and lead to blessing for your family. I pray that the Lord would make this true for all of you ladies this morning, that the Lord would help you to be a mother of excellence, a wife of excellence, a woman of excellence, of noble character, both for your good, for the good of your family, and for his glory. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege we've had to sit around your word. I pray, God, that your word wouldn't just enter our ears one way and slip out the next, but that this morning in particular, I pray for the ladies among us that you would encourage and strengthen their souls and help them to know that you do care. Help them to know that you are with them as they do their work, as they live, as they seek to be a woman who pleases you, a woman of excellent, virtuous, noble character. I pray that you would make that true for every woman, every female under the sound of my voice. I pray for those wives that you would make that true of them. I pray for those mothers that you would make it true of them. And even for those who are not wives or mothers, I pray, God, that you would make it true of them and that you would help all of us to encourage one another to seek to have that excellent, noble, virtuous character that your word describes. And again, not just for our good, but also for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.